You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, if you want to open to Luke 11, Luke 11, I'm going to start in verse 33. Luke 11, 33 says this. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl instead of putting it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. We all know the song. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. Verse 35 is the interesting one that I find here. Verse 35, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. I want to read that again. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. That doesn't make sense to me. Let's talk about it a little bit. Jesus, we welcome you into this place today. Father, I pray that you will speak to us, stir in our hearts, God. We love you, Lord. Amen. Now, if I move back and forth here, am I going to get the, the power that we had a little second ago? Are we good? Okay, awesome. Uh, see to it that the light within you is not darkness. That's an interesting phrase because it doesn't make sense to me as I read that the light that is within you could possibly be darkness. And I remember one time I, I was reading this and I was meditating on it and I was praying on it and I was like, God, what does that mean? And, uh, and he kind of, I don't know that it was divine revelation, but I kind of thought back. A lot of my, a lot of my, um, when I think through the Bible, and I, I always go back to childhood. I don't know why. Maybe it was a cute and innocent time. But, you know, and God was kind of like, you know, it was, it was that moment. I don't know how many of you grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. Uh, I am a pastor's son. For those of you that know, uh, my, my family is all in ministry. I am my brother's younger brother. And so I am not David. I am Dan. For those of you that know David Perkins. But my whole family is in ministry of some kind. So I grew up in the church, right? So I used to go, I was Nazarene, and we used to go to, uh, to, to junior high camp. Anybody ever go to junior high camp? Yeah, junior high camp. And so what junior high camp was, was taking a five days in the summer to go get away, go to some crazy place in Oklahoma where no one would ever pay to go, yet somehow they get people to pay to go there. And I mean, seriously, have you ever noticed, like, these kids' camps are always in New Mexico and Oklahoma and Nebraska. It's like lame states are like, hey, how can we get people to come do tourists? Ooh, churches will pay to come here. Anyway, so we'd always go and you go and, and like, you know, the first three days you're really spending just like trying to get a girlfriend. And then, what? That's true. You're in junior high, you know, and, and then in high school and college and everything else. Uh, and so then like, then like, you know, you have the meeting, the nights, you know, where you have the worship and, and teaching and it's like, oh yeah, great. I'm at church camp. That's what I do. And then like somehow throughout the course of the week, you go from being this like, hey, I'm here to find a girl that is 12 because <laughs> I'm 11. And so I want an older girl. And then like at the end, like there you are, your 11 year old self. And you're like, oh God, I love you. I'm crying. And it's like this awesome experience for those of you that have gone, you know what I'm talking about. You have this like, everybody, everybody talks about, you know, the, the high school camp or the junior high camp experience. And you're all pumped up and excited for Jesus, right? And then you go home and you're like, bro, mom and dad, I love Jesus. This is awesome. Camp was so rad. It was great. And then like a week later, you're like, oh yeah. And then like two weeks later, you're like, what did I do there? I don't even know. And you're like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, church camp, whatever. You know? And it's kind of like that, that light that was in you, that, that excitement that was in you, if you don't keep cultivating it, it will grow dark. And so in the moments, I, I think that still applies to us. I don't think that's just about junior high camp. I think that even today, as, as you're having, as you spend time with God, as you go to the mill, as you, whatever, when God speaks to you, 
if you don't continually pursue cultivating that, then eventually that, that moment, that connection you had with God begins to, to fade and, and the light you had grows dark. I think it's a dangerous thing. Uh, I, I told you my dad was a pastor growing up. Before that, uh, he was actually a, a coach. I always feel bad for my dad. You guys know my brother. And, uh, and see, my dad was uh, like the four-star athlete in his high school and college. He did like quarterback on the football team, the captain on the track team, pitcher on the baseball team, point guard on the basketball team. I mean, he did it all in high school. Then he went to college. He played. He was three sports in college. He, told me, you know, he used to tell me the stories of like running track and, and then th- his baseball coach like flying him home so that he could pitch that night, you know, and like he did all this stuff, right? So he was like the cool athlete. He was super smart. And, uh, and so he was always one of the smartest and one of the most athletic. And then if you look at my brother and I, uh, Something didn't happen in the gene. I mean, somehow it didn't get passed on. So I always felt bad for him. But after, after he did that, he, before uh, he became a pastor, he was a coach. So he was a football coach. He was a basketball coach. He did it all, right? And, uh, and so I grew up, and I think my dad always kind of applied uh, the way he coached into some of other aspects of life. For instance, I don't know how many of you guys were allowed to do some things as children, but I was, there are some things I was not allowed to do. Namely, one of them was cry. I don't know how many, could anybody in here ever cry before? Not me. No, not allowed. No, I couldn't cry. Uh, see, because here's what happened is I would, I would get hurt, and then we had this little thing, right? It's called the football smile. Now, the football smile was interesting because what that means is suck it up, pretend like it doesn't hurt, actually pretend like you like it. So I would go out and, you know, there I am and I'm learning how to ride my bike. And I had, I had the lamest bike in the world. I mean, I don't think anybody could ride this bike. It was like from, not even from a garage sale. It was like my mom probably found it in the trash and like, you know, pumped up the tires and was like, here you go, Dan. Woo! And I was like, oh my God, bike! You know? And, uh, and so like I was trying to ride this bike. I didn't do the training wheel thing either. No training wheels for me. And so I would get out and literally I would ride and fall and ride and fall. And then sometimes, you know, like one of my siblings would push me. So I'd ride, ride, ride and fall, you know, like, and that's, that's basically how it would happen. And when you learn to ride a bike that way, uh, you end up getting hurt at times. Uh, it's weird, <laughs> you know, falling on asphalt. It hurts. And so like I would go, I'd ride and, and then I'd fall and I'd get up and like, I'd see the blood start to, on my knee, because that's where you land is on your knee. And the blood would start to, to trickle down. And I'd be like, and my dad would be like, come up and he'd be like, Dan, football smile. And so there I was, blood. Uh. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, come on. Give me the football smile. Uh. And he's like, come on now. Now pretend like you like it. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, my leg fell off. I love this. This is awesome. You know, and, I, and so I wasn't allowed to cross. I was a football smile. And see, I think that unfortunately, many of us as Christians, as followers of Christ, sometimes we get in the mindset that we have to football smile our way through life. You know, like we got to go to church, got to go to this, got to do this. I got to be a good person. I can't be mad at the people that make me mad. I got to, I can't cheat at school. I can't, you know, like I got to do all the good things. I got to be all this. And, and, and we have this awesome experience. We, we must have. For you to be here, you have encountered God at some point. And then somewhere along the way, for many of us, it becomes this moment where it's like, you know what? I got to just suck it up and do the Christian thing. And I don't want to. 
Everything in my flesh doesn't like this, but you know what? Oh, I'm going for it. And you know, you're at the mill and Glenn Packham's leading worship and you're like, I love you, Jesus. Yeah. You know, you're like at your small group and you're like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I had a great week. Oh, it was awesome. God really spoke to me. God didn't speak at all to me this week. Oh, great. Bless you, brother. <laughs> you know, and we do, and we just begin to kind of like football smile our way through it. And I really think, I, I, I know in my experience, I have, I've done that before. But I don't think we have to. I want to talk this morning as, as we're talking about the character of God, about the thing that I see as the most fundamental, most important thing, and, and people can debate that, and, but, but the thing that, at least for me, I want to tell you from my experience, the thing that has been most important in my relationship with God, it, it is, it is the, the characteristic of God that, that if you can get this, I think it will, it will empower you to a successful life in God. And it's this really intriguing, deep concept. If you're taking notes, you might want to warm up your wrists because we're going for it. God loves you. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about the bumper sticker, God loves you. You know, you're like driving along. We've all seen it. You know, and it's like, God loves you and I'm trying. <laughs> you know, you got to love Christian humor, man. We're, uh, we're so lame. Anyway, you know, and so like, but you know, or like many of you that grew up and your mom every night, oh, Jesus loves you. And you're like, oh, thank you. You know, and like, it's just like, it becomes just this, this kind of cliche quote. You know, God loves you. We all know God loves us. Great, fine, whatever. But I'm talking about the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. I mean, the God that has ex- existed from all eternity past and all eternity future. This God loves you. I don't mean loves you like you love pizza. I mean, this God is ravished over you. There is, you are his favorite. And I don't know how that works, but it's true. I don't know how Jake can be his favorite and I'm his favorite, but somehow it's true. I mean, I know I'm really his favorite, not Jake, but I mean, it's true. I'm, I, you know, you are God's favorite. It's, it, I, I, God loves you. And I think that this is the thing that if you can get this idea, the love of God, it will absolutely change your life. It will empower you to, to live without kind of the mentality of I have to just suck it up and go through this again. I want to tell you from my experience some of how this, is, how this has uh, changed my life. I think that the reason that it's so important that we get the idea that God loves us is because the simple truth, loved people are dangerous people. See, loved people don't care so much what everybody else around them thinks. They care about the person that loves them and what they think. And so that terrifies Satan. That terrifies the enemy. I think that one of the number one lies, and I don't know how that works, one of the number one lies, but one of the main lies of the enemy to, our, to people in our generation, to our age, is that you're unlovable. Is that you cannot be loved. You don't deserve love and you've done too much, you have too much history, there's too many things that, are, that, are, that, are, that you've done before that you don't really deserve to be loved. And I think that, that traps so many people our age. Is, is this inner, and we wouldn't say it. We wouldn't like audibly, you know, hi, my name's Dan Perkins, and uh, I do not deserve to be loved. You know, like, that's not probably a good way to introduce yourself to people. You can try it, but it's not the best way to, to get friends. 
But inside, in, in us, I think that sometimes we come up with this, like, these excuses for why it's okay that we don't have friends or why it's okay that we're not able to get the girlfriend or, or the, we try to come up with all these reasons why people shouldn't love us. And when people do love us, we don't understand and we begin to excuse why they probably don't really. And if they only knew the real me, then there's no way they would really, really like me because I am, I'm too jacked up, man. If you really knew me, and I, I mean, I'm not saying that this is like, this is like at the core of who we are. We feel unlovable at times. And I think that's because the enemy knows that if you know you're loved, that empowers you for success. That as a loved person, you become a dangerous person. I don't mean dangerous like crazy. I mean dangerous against the enemy, dangerous for the kingdom of God. Because all of a sudden, you don't, you don't care what the other people around you think. You don't, the, the fear of man goes down and the fear of God goes up. There are so many verses in the Bible about the fear of God. It is unbelievable. And so many of us operate in the fear of man. So many of us care so much about what our friends think, and not even our friends. We care about what strangers think. How much sense does that make? But we do. The fear of man is, is so prevalent in our day, and I think that as we begin to know God's love for us, the fear of man decreases. John fifteen nine, one of my favorite verses on this, says, Jesus, this is kind of in Jesus in his last moments. If you read the book of John, it's like there's a certain amount of time allotted to Jesus' life. And that's almost equivalent to the amount of the last hours of Jesus. The last few days of Jesus, it's the whole chapters of the last five chapters of John. And here it is, Jesus talking to his disciples. This is right before the, the high priestly prayer when he prays for his disciples. This is in the moment. He, he, the, the cross is right before him. And Jesus says this, he's looking at his disciples and he says, as the Father has loved you, or sorry, as the Father has loved me, that's how much I love you. As God the Father has loved me, that is how much I love you. And I think that is such an incredible statement that is so easy, that, that verse is so easy to overlook. As God the Father has loved me, Jesus, God the Son, I love you. Now, I don't know if you know how much God loves Jesus, but I think it's a lot. I mean, if you look at, I like to think through some of these things, you know, of, of what love is. And, and they say, you know, some of what love is, is quality time together. You know, you spend a lot of time together, you begin to love someone, right? How much time did Jesus and God spend together? All of eternity past. That's a long time. That's a lot of cultivating of relationship in all of eternity past. There's a long time to build relationship. Okay, what about shared events? You do stuff together. You know, do you think they did anything together? Maybe, you know, uh, create everything. You know, hey, Jesus, what are you doing today? Oh, I don't have any plans. What do you want to do? Let's make a universe. You know, like, let's make life. They, they did stuff together. There's a lot of relationship built and doing stuff together. What about words of affirmation? Anybody like words of affirmation? I like words of aff- affirmation. Here Jesus is more than once, two times, two times in Jesus's life, God interrupts mankind. God interrupts human history to rip the heavens back just to say, Jesus, I love you. I'm proud of you. When Jesus got baptized, there is it's like thunder from heaven. God said, and, and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's got to feel good in that moment. I mean, I don't know how many, God's probably done that for you. That's never happened to me. I've never been walking along the street and all of a sudden thunder and God's saying, dad, you're my boy. I'm proud of you. I'm all, oh, that's going to excite you a little bit. God, God rips open that heaven and, and comes to earth. He doesn't do that a lot. 
But for Jesus, he, he speaks, I love you. That's a powerful thing. I think there's a lot of love between God the Father and God the Son. I think. And here Jesus is saying to his disciples, as much as God loves me, that is how much I love you. Man, if you begin to pray on that, if you begin to think on that, the idea that God, that Jesus loves you like he loves himself, and I know that sounds strange, but as much as God loves Jesus, that's how much he loves you, that is, that is a powerful thing. That is eternal love. There is no love greater than that. God says, as much as Jesus says, as much as the fathers love me, I love you. And then a few verses later, Jesus says this to his disciples as almost a prophetic, no, not almost, as exactly a prophetic statement. Knowing what is before him, Jesus looks at his, his disciples, John 15, 13, says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Jesus knows what is before him. He knows he is entering into the season where he's about to be crucified. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be killed for them so that they can have relationship with the Father for us. And he says, no greater love than, is there than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. Jesus' statement is saying, what he's saying is, it is impossible for anyone to love you more than I love you. He's flat out saying that to, the, to, to his disciples. He's flat out speaking that over you and I. We all know that Jesus came, he, he died for us. He's saying, there is, it is impossible for anyone to show love in any greater way than what I'm going to show you. There's a, the, the, when we begin to understand how much Jesus is speaking here in, in John 15 of his love for us, it is a powerful thing. You can't deny it. You cannot deny that Jesus here is saying how much he loves us. But sometimes I think for us, it's, it, it's hard just to read it in the Bible. You know, I think for many of us, we want to have real encounter with God. We want, I, it, it's, it, I mean, it's easy to read it, but it's, it's easy to read it and, and just kind of skim over it. For me, I'll tell you my experience of when this idea began to really come alive to me. I was in high school at some point in my life, and uh, we went on a trip. And uh, I went, it was over spring break, and uh, there was a, a trip to Guatemala, a missions trip to Guatemala. And I didn't want to go, I'm not going to lie. That was not what I thought. Oh, a week off school. Let's go spend it in another country. You know, like I wanted to sleep in. I wanted to do nothing. I wanted to hang out with my friends at night. You know, I didn't want to get up at 4 a.m. in order to go to the airport, in order to eat nothing and puke everything. You know, like, man, I had problems on that trip too. Let me, anyway, uh, so, you know, like that wasn't like my ideal vacation. And it wasn't like, oh, Guatemala, very exotic. Let's go there. No, I was like up in the hills and the mountains. Of the, I mean, they had nothing. They, I mean, literally like the people would walk, uh, it was like five miles to, to bring in food. I mean, it was crazy. Like, uh, anyway, um, and so this was not my dream vacation, uh, but I went and uh, I'm glad I did. And, and I wish I could tell you that like, this was like the best missions trip I had ever been on. I mean, it was awesome. Except for that most of my time was spent over a toilet and uh, facing this way. Anyway, and, uh, and so it wasn't like this powerful encounter, right? But then this crazy thing happened, okay? There we are. We'd come back to Guatemala City. We were up in, in a village. We'd come back. This is the night before we're leaving. And, uh, and so we came back to Guatemala City. We're staying in a hotel and... Uh, our leaders come to us and they're like, hey, great week, everybody. We're going back to the United States tomorrow. You can drink the water. It's going to be great. And uh, we're like, woo, going home, you know. And, uh, and I was like, I got one day before school starts. Yeah, I can sleep in, you know. And so, uh, so I go and they're like, hey, good news. We're leaving for our flight at 4 a.m. 
And I was like, oh, great news. You know, wonderful. So I, I got my friends together and I said, hey, um, the only smart thing for us to do really is to stay up all night. I mean, that is, how many of you guys ever, you know, when you were in high school, you did, the, you did the I'm staying up all night thing. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Because when I ask high school students, they're all like, yeah. And then I ask like, you're age, and oh, no, I would never do such an immature thing. No way. You know you did it. We all tried to stay up all night, and most of us always failed. Um, my friends and I always, always tried to stay up all night, and it was always on Saturday night. And, uh, and my dad, you know, being a pastor, Sundays were kind of a big day, and so he'd always come out uh, like 3, 4 a.m. and tell us to shut up. <laughs> and, uh, and now, if, if some of you are parents, I assume you don't have teenagers yet, but maybe you do. And uh, for those of you that are going to be parents someday, let me tell you, for my own life, If ever you want to absolutely humiliate your child, please, please, especially for the guys, be a middle-aged man in whitey tighties at 4 a.m. telling you and all your friends, your kid and all their friends to go to bed. It will humiliate, they will never want to do that again. Every week you come out, and and I'm not talking, like, he didn't have cool boxers or anything. We're talking Hanes, Fruit of the Loom, whitey tighties coming out, pastor. I mean, my friends are like, You know, they didn't know what to do with themselves. So anyway, so we know, so, so here we are, and we're trying to, we're like, hey, we're going to stay up all night. We're going to do it. And so there, then, you know, they, there's certain rules when you go on trips like this, especially when you're in high school, and they're like, hey, you got to stay in groups, and don't leave the hotel, and you have to stay in the lobby because guys can't go in girls' rooms, girls can't go in guys' rooms. You know, all, all good rules that make sense, right? And so we go out, and so we're hanging out in the lobby, staying up all night. And obviously, none of you have ever done that before. So let me tell you what happens. You know, when you're out there and you're trying to do this, you, you just kind of start telling stories and, you, you, you know, doing whatever. And basically, the, the whole night goes like this. So, And there's all that you, like, tell stories and they laugh and then it's awkward silence. And then someone like starts telling the story and you like, <laughs> awkward silence. And that's like basically what you do. And I don't know why people try to do this, but they do. I try to do it all the time. Well, slowly, one by one, everybody, people started going to bed. You know, I felt like, you know, like Jesus, like all have betrayed, you know. I mean, people are leaving me here. I was like the rallier of the troops. I had to do it, you know. And when the last person went to bed, I, you know, in Braveheart, when, when, uh, Mel Gibson, like, well, when Isaac the Bruce, he sees him, and he betrayed him, and sorry if you haven't seen it, you should have seen it by now, you know, and, uh, and he, like, rips off his helmet, and there he is, William Wallace sees his best friend has just betrayed him, and his eyes are like, you know, that's how I felt. Everybody had left me. I was like, oh, I betrayed, you betrayed me. So there I was, but I was, man, I was committed. I was football smiling my way through this night. I was like, I'm going to make it. So I was like, okay, well, I can't stay out here because that's breaking the rules. I'm by myself. I have to be in a room with other people. So I had to go to my room. So I go to my room. I open the door. I shut the door. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. I look around. Darkness. Pillows. The silent white noise of the air conditioner. These things are not very good for staying up. I was tired. I was like, I have to place myself somewhere where I can be successful. And so I thought of where I could go the bathroom. So there I was in the bathroom, lights on, fluorescent lights, not conducive to sleeping. This was wonderful. So I was like, all right, I'm staying up all night. What am I going to do? 
I'll count the ceiling tiles. One, two, that was fast. <laughs> you know? Okay, maybe I'll count the toilet paper. I'm in Guatemala. One, two, three. Okay, done. <laughs> you know, what do you do? So I was like, oh, I'll read my Bible. I mean, that's what you do to stay alert and awake, right? That's what you guys do. I mean, that's what I do. You're like, I got to stay up. Oh, give me my Bible, you know? And so I was like, what chapter, what verse, what, what am I going to read? What's going to keep me awake? Duh. Deuteronomy. <laughs> so I opened the Deuteronomy, and I just start reading. And, and uh, all that to say, this is one of the moments in my life where God spoke to me very clearly in a extremely weird location through a book that I had never read before. And as I was reading, I got to Deuteronomy 7. I must have started in 6. And uh, Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affections on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all, but it was because the Lord loved you. And I read that, and I was reading uh, a different version at the time. and said, the Lord God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth. He said, he chose you, and, and I just began to pray on that. And I just felt like God was saying, Dan, I'm first captain. We're playing kickball, and you're my first pick. That was the language that I understood at that time. I've, God was saying, Dan, if everybody was here, I choose you. It said the Lord set, his, where it says it set his affections on you. I, in the version I was reading, it said he lavishes his love on us. And I began to just talk, think through what does it mean that God lavished his love on me? It says that you are my treasured possession. I mean, you, you're my, I, I hold you close to my heart. It's like, you know, this idea that you are God's special treasure. I mean, this, it's for, so for me, it was this moment at 3.30 in the morning in Guatemala City where I'm reading the Old Testament and God is saying, Dan, you're my favorite. I choose you out of everybody on earth. I want to lavish my love on you. There's no one I want to be with more than you. I love you. And this is where it just came alive to me. And it was in this moment that I began to understand. And it was not that I understood it, you know, like I, I could understand the in and outs of how God's love works, but I began to feel that God loved me. It was in this moment that, it, that it, it wasn't words on a page. It was alive in my heart. So as I'm talking about the, the fact that God loves you today, it's important that we understand that, that you can experience God's love. God's love isn't this, this overarching thing that we just say, oh, God loves the world, and so he obviously loves me too. But it is personal to you. I mean, yes, God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But it is personal to each and every one of us. It doesn't have to be the cliche that we've all heard. It doesn't have to be the bumper sticker that you read on the back of the car. When you can grasp the idea that God loves you, and I mean loves you, it will radically change your life. And I don't know why that is, but it's this weird thing about us as people. Now you may or may not relate to this, but um, I think we as people like to be liked. Does anybody like to be liked in here? Some people like to be liked. Other people like to be hated. I understand that. I like to be liked. I like hanging out with people that like me. You know, like most of my friends like me. Hence, they're my friends. I don't surround myself that people that, with people that don't like me. Uh, those aren't the kind of people that I hang with. You know, like I don't go out and like, hey, you guys make fun of me all the time. Let's do something sometime. Woohoo! 
You know, like, I don't know why. That's just the human nature is to, to be drawn to people that like us. You know, I like to say, like I said, I like to take things back to childhood in a nice, innocent time. You know, it's like, remember third grade? You probably don't. I sure don't. Let's pretend like we do. Let's go back to third grade, right? You're sitting in your third grade teacher's class. You go in first day of school. You look around. Again, we're pretending that this only happened in third grade. What's the first thing you do? You look for the cute people. You know, like you look for the cute girls in the class. I know it sounds a lot like junior high camp. I'm just saying this is life. You know, for girls, you look for the cute guys in the class. That's what we do. You look around, and you're like, okay, one, two, five. Okay, great, wonderful. Every girl, wonderful. Okay, you know, and, and so that's what you do. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting in class, and you get this little note. This note comes back to you. Notes in my day were, were nice. They were pieces of paper. Now they're like birds flying. You know, it's like you like pull off the head. and you. Have you seen what girls do with paper? It's crazy. Anyway. You know, so you get this note, and you open it up, and you start reading through it, and it's like, Dear John Boy Gilligan. I grew up in Oklahoma, sorry. Do you like me? Check yes, check no, check maybe. Signed, Bobby Sue Eleanor. You know what I'm saying? You get this note. Anybody ever got these notes? I got it like once in my life. You get the note, and you're like reading through, and you're like, Do you like me? Bobby Sue Eleanor. I don't even know who she is. Who is she? Oh. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, and you like fold it up and fly it back. And it's like, and, you know, everything. You know, and this is somehow it works, right? We li- our hearts like to be liked. When we find out people like us, our natural reaction is to like them back. When you find out when someone makes fun of you, when someone doesn't like you, your natural reaction generally is to not fall in love with them. But when you find out someone likes you, your natural response is to want to spend time with them. Well, you like me, you must be cool. <laughs> you know, if you like me, then we must, uh, we'll, we're going to get along. You know, we like to be liked. It's just the nature of who we are. And I think that God placed that in us. I think that that's not just this weird random thing that just happened to, you know, it's just happenstance. If you read 1 John four nineteen, it says that we love him or we love because he first loved us. The very reason that we are able to love is because God first loved us. God is saying, I love you. Our natural response, when you begin to get this idea that God loves you personally, your natural response is to want to spend time with him. Your natural response is to be like, God, you must be a cool guy. Your natural response is to love him back. That's why I think it's so important that we get this idea that God loves us. God is love. God loves the world, but God loves you as an individual for everything you are, for all the reasons that you feel like you may or may not be lovable. God loves you. That is such an important thing for you. If you walk out of here with nothing else, if you can just say, okay, that that crazy little guy up there said God loved me. I don't know if I believe him, but maybe I'm going to at least go to the Bible and find out if it's true. Listen, I'm not telling you to believe me because I stand up here and you know, and wearing a tie for once in my life. You know, I'm, I'm saying, don't take my word for it. Go find out for yourself. Go find out, does God love you? Go, I dare you. I dare you this week. God, how much do you love me? Just tell me. I don't believe that guy. Just go ask him. See what he says. We like to be liked. Our hearts respond when other people like us. 
How much more when we find out that the God of the ages, the creator of heaven and of earth, is passionately in love with you. And listen, friends, there are so many verses in the Bible about God's love. I am, I'm not even, this is, this is not an in-depth study. This is you telling, or me telling you my experience of, of God's love. You can go, go to your Bible, read through here. This is, the whole thing is about God's love for you. The individual, you. God is love. God is the very definition of love. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John 3, 1 says this. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, if you look at what I've read here, I've read from Book of John, 1 John, you know, kind of the author John here, reading a lot of this, okay? John is the guy that w- he didn't even write his own name in his own book. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He defined himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. This guy got it. I don't think it's by happenstance that he wrote so much about Jesus' love. I think this guy understood how much God loved him. So much so that he was okay. I mean, this is like the Bible, number one bestseller of all time. You know, a lot of people read this book. He could be pretty famous by writing about himself more and more. But instead of doing this, what he does is he writes, he defines himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, you can say, like, maybe John was, maybe he was very humble. He's a very humble man and didn't want to write his own name in there. But, you know, I don't know that John was so humble. We'll find out one day. I'll talk to him. I'll ask him about it. But he, if you read the book of John, when he's writing about, like, when Jesus Jesus died, went to the grave, and then they came and got the word, hey, Jesus is no longer in the grave, his report of the story is Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved ran to the grave. And do you know what he says then? He said, and the disciple that Jesus loved beat Peter. He was like, I mean, this does not sound like a humble guy. He's like, so the two of us ran, and by the way, I totally rocked him. I mean, Peter was slow, but I got there first. And then he says, when Peter then arrived. I mean, he's like, he's like really trying to stress the fact he's faster than Peter. You know, I mean, this isn't a guy that's like so humble, he doesn't want to write about his own name. No, this is a guy that is willing to like slam Peter in order to say he's faster than him. I mean, you know, it's not, that doesn't reek of humility, you know. But what he's doing is he is defining himself as the disciple of the Jews. He sees himself as who, who he is in Jesus' love rather than how everybody else sees him. And that's what I'm talking about. When you begin to understand God's love for you, when I said, you know, loved people are dangerous people, what I mean by that is that all of a sudden, the things that everybody else thinks and cares about, what really matters to you is, hey, guess what? I am the person that Jesus loves. Oh, you want to know who I am? It matters little. Every, you can find out everything you want about me. The, tr- the, the core of who I am is I'm loved by God. And when you begin to live with that kind of conviction, it, it begins to erupt inside of you. And, and I think that enables you to be the kind of person that God pours himself out on and can use. And, and all the things we dream of and all the things we want, it starts with knowing that God loves you. Go to Ephesians 3, verse 18. Ephesians 3.18 says this. This is, a common, this is a famous one. I mean, this one we all know. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. 
I love that verse. It's wordy. It's, it, if you just skim over it, it's going to be like, what did that say? But break it down. I, I encourage you this week, as you go throughout this week, pray this verse. Take this verse and begin to pray. I pray that you, it's, he starts off by saying, Paul says, I pray that you, you that are rooted and established in love. That means you that define yourself as people that are loved by God. May have the power together with all the saints to know how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. I mean, we all, you know, grew up singing the great song, deep and wide, you know, like, uh, love the song, it's great. Whatever happened to those kind of songs, you know, like, I'm not going to lie. I went to like children's action over here. I don't know what it, it used to be like, Hoogaland. I don't know what it is anymore. But, you know, and like, you know what they're singing? They're singing like, I am free and I'm a friend of God. And they're not singing deep and wide. Whatever happened to good old children's songs, you know? Anyway, I mean, they get adult songs. What are we supposed to sing, you know? Anyway, uh, so, so, you know, how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Again, that's another one of those phrases, kind of like the light within you becoming dark. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? What the author here is saying is the love of God can be experienced. It's not something that you can just walk out and, I can't teach you on it. This isn't something that you'll be taught on and you'll walk out being like, God loves the world, God loves me, wonderful. But to know the love that surpasses knowledge. This is an experiential type love that we have with the Father. The God of the ages. This is, what makes, this is what makes the fact that we follow Jesus so unique to everyone else in the world. Is that we have the opportunity to have a, a relationship, but not just a relationship, we can experience this love. And I think it's so important because even as I said, like, when you know you're loved, it causes you to, to love him back. As you know God's love, it causes you to love him. Well, guess what? We, our, our natural response, when we love someone, we begin spending time with them, we begin to do what? Like what they like. When we begin to spend time with someone, we begin to do what they want to do. Listen, friends, I'm going to have a little confession here, okay? I have purchased flowers. Flowers grow on the earth for free. I have spent money on them before. I have watched more chick flicks in my life than I have ever needed to watch. I have spent more time on the phone, talking on the phone, than any man should ever spend talking on the phone. Do you know why? Because I like my fiance. Because, there, because things that make her happy make me happy. Kind of. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it just a little bit when we, when we experience someone, when we, when we begin to love someone, all of a sudden we begin to do the things that beforehand we would have thought were crazy. We begin to like what they like. We begin to do what they want to do. When you begin to love God, all of a sudden, all the things that started out as what I said, you know, kind of the, the football smile mentality, all of a sudden that is the overflow of your heart in reaction to his love. Your living for him is the overflow it's not this mundane, I have to do it, I have to go, I have to, this, this list of rules and do's and don'ts, and man, isn't this following Jesus thing so hard? No, it's this overflow of, I am in love with God, and guess what? God loves me. These things are easy to do. It's the overflow of my heart. 
I'll just tell you three things that I think knowing God's love, experiencing God's love will do for you. Why I think it's so important. Number one, knowing God's love will exhilarate your own heart. It will, it's this idea that God's love can be experienced. It's not just, it's not just something that is ethereal. It's not just an idea. It can be experienced for you and for me. I think far too often, far too often, we are content with intellectual Christianity. We're content with just trying to figure things out, or we're content with uh, ignorant Christianity, where, oh, whatever, God loves me. Experience God's love. It will exhilarate your heart, and no longer will it just be about the intellectual pursuits, no longer will it just be about content, but you will be able to, your heart will be alive in Christ. There will be a passion in him. You can feel God's love. You can experience this. Number two, number two is I believe that when we begin to know God's love, it will equip you for your own destiny. Knowing God's love is going to equip you for the destiny that God has placed on you. Because no longer, and this is why, because where Paul says being rooted and established in love, then he goes on to talk about the power. The destiny God has placed on your life God desires for that to happen, but we must be rooted and established in his love so that he can trust us. Because if, if, if we're not rooted and established in his love, then all of a sudden it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like any, any sports fans in here? Nope? Okay, great. <laughs> I'm a sports fan, okay? And so, you know, like I really like the NBA. I don't know why a lot of people don't, but I do. And, uh, and so like you see a lot of times these guys that, that go to like a year of, co- of college or come straight out of high school, and go pro, right? And, and so they have all the talent in the world, and then they, they grow up and, and like, you know, playing basketball their whole lives. They don't have much. They're just high school kids, and they have, but they have tons of talent. And then all of a sudden, they go and they get millions upon millions of dollars to play a game, okay? What do we often see in that happen? What that translates into this, like, crazy lifestyle, all of a sudden they're like, they are, they're, they have millions of dollars, they come from nothing, so now they're buying tons of cars, you know, they're, they're doing all sorts of, they, they have huge houses, all these exciting things, right? All of a sudden, you, you begin to see, and, and if you don't follow sports, you don't, but oftentimes their life begins to kind of fade, and like, they can't balance all the things that they have, because they go from having nothing to having everything, and, and it's, it, they weren't ready for the fame. They weren't ready for the destiny of being the professional athlete. And so they, they go bankrupt or they, they, get, you know, they quit their team or whatever. Their life kind of falls apart. I'm using this as a, a really bad analogy of what we do when we're not ready. See, if we're ready, if we're established in God's love, then he can trust us for the destiny he has for you. But without that, then you're, you, you can't expect like, like this awesome move and, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be the most famous whatever for God, or, you know, I'm going to be this awesome Christian that does these great things, or I'm going to be the best businessman in the world. All these things that God, I think, has placed in your heart. The dream of your heart, God desires for you to have. But I think it, it, it starts in a place of having true relationship with him that he can then trust us to, to reach that destiny. Because it's about the relationship, so that no matter how much success comes, no matter how much, uh, Whatever it is to you, success, fame, money, whatever those things are, no matter how much of that comes, if you're rooted and established in relationship, in love, then those things are all secondary to him. But if your primary is those things, then, then, then 
your, your relationship with God crumbles in those times. Success is the ultimate, you know, kind of pressure cooker for us. So I think that if you understand God's love, it will set you up for success. It will set you up to reach the destiny that God desires for you, that God has placed on you. Lastly, uh, and I think this one's really important, is that knowing God's love empowers you. And what it does is it empowers you to run to God in your failure rather than away from God. See, a lot of times when we, when we put whatever you want to call it, you know, whether we fail, whether we sin, whether we, we don't measure up, whatever it may be, our natural reaction is to run from God. Our natural reaction is to say, oh, I'm obviously a failure. He can't love me. I, I'm, I've, I, I've messed up again. Let me pull back in my pursuit of God because I, I can't do this anymore. But knowing God's love, what that does, when you begin to understand and know his love, it causes you to run to him in your failure rather than away from him. It's the idea of the prodigal son. The prodigal son went out. He ran away from his father and he spent all the money. He, he kind of lived it up for a little bit. Then he had nothing. And, be, and rather than, because he didn't know the love his father had, his father sitting back on the porch every day waiting for him because he didn't know that. What did he do? We all know the story. He went to the pig slop. He went to the sty, you know. He tried to work a job. He was eating this pig food because he didn't know that he had a father waiting for him. Finally, when things couldn't get any worse, he said, oh, that I could be a servant in my father's house. And he goes home to be a servant. It says when he was still a long way off, the father ran to him, wrapped his arms around him, put on his ring. He said, you are still my son. How dare you think you'd be a servant? You are my son. Let's throw apart your home. See, when we begin to know God's love, when we experience God's love, it causes us, we don't have to go through that middle lame area of the pigsty. It causes, I have failed. I have a loving father. I'm going to run to him rather than away from him. And that is so important for us because I hate to tell you this, you will fail. I know that you might, like most of us in here, we'll probably sin again. Maybe. I mean, what? I'm just saying, it's possible. But when we sin, when we fail, if we have experienced his love, it will cause us to run back to him. We can cut out the, the, the stage of, of kind of the rebellion and the whatever, the hitting rock bottom, however, however you want to put it. We can cut that out. And we can just run back to our loving father who will wrap his arms around you, put his ring on you, throw a party, and say, let's keep going. I think that there is, I think that this is the most empowering thing that we can know. I think it's the most important thing that we can know. In our faith, if, if, if we don't know God's love, then we're missing the point. If you haven't experienced, or if, if you don't, if you don't know that God loves you as a person intimately, then you've kind of missed the point of what you're a part of. That's what the whole core is of this thing. Like I said earlier, I, I encourage you to go out and, and find out, God, do you love me? Is this really real? What does this mean? Go find out for yourself. I think that the most fundamental thing, if I was to give you kind of a, okay, now what? idea is I encourage you maybe it's this next week maybe you want to say two weeks maybe it's tomorrow start start spending time with him take a chunk of your day 15 minutes an hour two minutes in the shower I don't care when 
I don't care how long. Spend time saying, God, I want you to show yourself to me. I want to spend time with you. If I love someone, I spend time with them. Therefore, I'm going to spend, I'm going to, I'm going to cut out some, uh, carve out a little bit of my day in order to spend time with you. That can look, I don't care what it looks like. That can be reading your Bible. That can be reading other books. That can just be praying. I'm not telling you how to. I'm not telling you how long to. I just spend time that is consecrated to him. Go get him. You know, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Go get him. Go say, God, you said that if I draw near to you, you're going to draw near to me. I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to spend time with you. Let's see what you'll do. Ask God this week. Ask God in these next few days. God, show me your love in a real, personal, experiential way. I want to know it. I want to experience the love of the Father. Jesus, I thank you for my friends. God, I thank you that you are love. God, I pray that in these next few weeks, as we focus on the nature and the character of God, that you will stir in each and every one of our hearts, that we may know you in a greater way. God, we want to experience your love. Like, like many of us, like we've never experienced before, God, for every person here, take us in a, to a new level of knowing your love, God. We worship you. We love you. We have given our lives to you, Jesus. It is because of who you are. It is because you love us that we love you, Jesus. So we ask that you will show that to us. Amen. Amen.